and welcome to the ministry of First Reformed Church of Aberdeen, South Dakota. Our worship services are at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. Now we join Pastor Hank Bone as he brings us God's Word. Our Bible reading this morning, again we turn to Psalm 51. Last Lord's Day we took up the verses 1 through 6. This morning we'll take on the verses 7 through 13. And that's about as far as I'm going to go in Psalm 51. I'm going to be moving on to John chapter 10 next Lord's Day and for a few Lord's Days. So if you want to meditate upon that a little bit, you can make a note of that. But this morning we return to Psalm 51. And here we have a prayer of repentance, a prayer of David, of following his being confronted by the prophet Nathan regarding what uh, he was hiding the great sin he was hiding, the sin of his adultery with Bathsheba, and essentially his establishing the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So David, having been confronted now, has recognized you can't hide your sin. And so he has this prayer. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good. In your good pleasure to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word, help us to set aside the chatter of the world and help us to hear you speak to us. May it be your voice that draws us. May we follow the Good Shepherd. Father, we pray that we may find this word to us, not only a source of challenge, but a source of comfort. 
that, Father, you might direct our ways, that by your grace we may be acknowledging you in all of our ways. Amen. Beloved, in your walk with God, have you had those great times of experiencing God being close to you? Of walking fearlessly in your service to God? Of overcoming all that the world throws at you, confident that God will give you the victory? Walking in the strength of Christ? Do you remember times like that in your life? Have you experienced the opposite? Where you struggle with a sense of the absence of God's blessing in your life. Where things just don't seem to be right where there is a a kind of despair and depression that falls over you, where you begin to question God's word and even God's integrity. Is there a time you can remember where you experienced a declension of the soul? If you have experienced spiritual ups and downs, you're not alone. King David The Goliath Slayer stands as not only the image of greatness and the power of God, but also as equally an example of great spiritual despair over the disgrace of falling into great sin. The theme we really find in these verses 7 through 13 this morning is that that David cries out as as all saints would cry out to God for the restoration of his soul. He may pretend to be okay, but deep down he's struggling. And God left him for a period of about nine months, struggling with what he had done, thinking the whole time he'd covered it up. But he hadn't covered it up. It was eating him up. And finally, the prophet Nathan is sent by God to David And God says, David, you have languished long enough. The time has come for repentance. Well, note really the unfolding of these verses in three divisions. First, he cries out for God to purify him. Purify me, O God. And then he cries out, perfect me. And then finally, in a sense, he kind of says, promote me. That is, help me to serve you. We see this first point, purify me, in verses 7 through 9. We saw last week in the first six verses of Psalm 51, David had exposed himself for all to see that he had grievously sinned and had no grounds to expect God to do anything more than judge him based in his sin. As Christians, we ought to own our sin. We shouldn't be boastful about it, but we should be transparent It is pride that would keep us from, in a sense, revealing our weaknesses and our failings. It is and should be no surprise when any of us falter and stumble. And the response we should have to one another is never one of condemnation, but rather what we should see in those moments is that God is working in the person's heart and God has appointed us to come alongside and to lift up in that restoration process. We, in a sense, are the hands and the eyes and the voice of God 
when we're seeking restoration of one who has fallen. And that is their cry. They cry for mercy. David cries for mercy. He seeks the grace of God to to bring that, that change in his character that will bring conversion from his sin to a holy standing before God. What is the petition that he raised before God? Well, we see it in verse 7. Purge me, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The force of the word purge is to purify from uncleanness. And isn't that our heart's desire? I mean, we sense the struggle, we sense the the battle that we have with the temptations of the world. We understand and we sense our own weaknesses and failings in these areas. But isn't our response as Christians to cry out, God, help me to get past this. And you know what the great encouragement is? We know the day is coming when we go to be with the Lord. And the struggle will be over and sin will be gone and it will be wholly purged. But even now we desire to see that purging in our life. To not allow sin to take control of us. David is calling upon God to remove the pollution and guilt of sin from him. He has before his mind the removal of the stain that occurs The stain and that removal occurs on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. As the priest goes into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkles the blood of the Lamb upon the mercy seat. And then he comes out and he he flings that blood over the people. And he takes the blood and he places it on the scapegoat and they move the scapegoat so far away it can't return. All of those are signs of how Israel, how the people of God desires to have their sins removed as far as the east is from the west. David is calling upon God to remove the pollution. And we need to see that in here is the work of Christ on behalf of God's people. That's what's pictured as the means by which our guilt and power of sin are canceled and restoration to God results. You can sense this is what David has in mind by his reference to hyssop. Now, what is hyssop? Well, hyssop was used in the ceremonies of the law to remove the uncleanness of the body. It was what was dipped in and flung upon the mercy seat. It was the branch that was dipped in and flung over the people in the ceremony on the Day of Atonement. You can sense this is what David has in mind by his reference to hyssop and how it was used in the ceremonies of the law to remove the uncleanness of the body. It was a small kind of bushy material used much like a brush or a sponge to to soak up a liquid material. In In Leviticus 19, it was used in the application of water to a leper. In Exodus, it was used to apply the blood of the Passover lamb on the door jams so the angel of death would pass by. And hyssop was used to soak up vinegar to place upon the Lord's lips upon the cross. It was a common used instrument 
but used in the process by which God brings his grace. David added to the ceremonial force of his prayer by employing the word, wash me. David understood that only the grace and mercy of God can remove the uncleanness that flows from sin. But that sense of despair that arises in the soul of the saint who has fallen into a particularly grievous sin produces a a great realization of the futility of trying to cover one's own faults. David continued to pursue his yearning for the cleansing from the deep sense of his guilt from covering his sin, that he was wounded in his soul because of that. He yearned to be freed from the sense of despair. The struggle of conscience is a a sign of the blessing of God in the saint, where God brings chastisement to draw the fallen saint back into the fold. David is a, a shepherd. He was a shepherd in Israel. He had left his flocks to go and see what was going on when he confronted Goliath. But even now, David needs to be shepherded as one who has strayed from the flock He is the one out of a hundred. Psalm 51 points us to the sacrifice of the Lord upon the cross where his his blood is, is shed for all who belong to God as his chosen people. The Bible teaches throughout that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no no forgiveness for sins. And in the Old Testament, This was learned by the ceremonies and the sacrifices. But in the church today, for us, you see it when you look at Jesus' death upon the cross, sealed by his resurrection, which is the very sign of his victory over sin and death. Consider the the confidence with which David approached God in his petition. He says, I shall be clean. I shall be whiter than snow. If God works there is a change that results. If you want change in your life, it doesn't come through your own efforts. It's a gift of God. And so you you begin that desire, that pursuit of change by crying out to God, by seeking after God. Service to God doesn't begin by running the race. It begins on your knees. In prayer, calling upon God for the strength and the ability. The assurance of pardon comes when we sense that God's grace is extended to us based only on his plan of salvation, only on Christ's merit. The work of grace brings about that true change that comes with repentance. Repentance leads to faith. Faith leads to a change in life and behavior. And that also includes the sense of God's forgiveness of our sins. And assurance gives you confidence of your being restored to a right relationship with God. True repentance is what we see in verse 8. When David cries out, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. The bones you may have you have broken may rejoice. Here David expresses that that kind of gut-wrenching act of the Holy Spirit that is necessary to stir us out of our false sense of contentment 
with our goodness, to shake us to the core, to not have confidence in ourselves. Do do you see how, how David here acknowledges that it is God who has broken him in his sin? God initiates the restoration, beloved. Deep down, you can sense when things are not right. And when that happens, you will deal with it in one of two ways. You will either deny it and suppress the sense of your guilt, or you will recognize it and seek relief from it through crying out to God for forgiveness and restoration. The crying out is the fruit of God bringing repentance, and then faith, and then assurance. Think about how Peter, after denying the Lord, was confronted with his weakness by the rooster's trumpet that crushed his soul. God left him in that state for a short period and often does leave us in our failures so we may learn to be humble and dependent upon him for our strength. The most significant change does not come easy. It, is, it was later that the Lord restored Peter when he asked him if he truly loved the Lord. You remember the episode, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times. And then he says, feed my sheep. The seal of God's restoration is seen when the Lord restored Peter to serving him with the words, feed my sheep. Go to others. Let your life be for others. And the third aspect we see here in this first point is seen in verse 9, and that's that assurance of pardon, where, where David says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. He's not saying, God, hide yourself from me. He's saying, don't look upon my sinfulness. Cause my sins to be taken way out there and leave me here. Don't see me for who I am, but see me as your chosen son. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. At the heart of that deep spiritual despair that will leave you feeling broken is the need for your sense that your sins no longer hang over your head. This is powerfully revealed in David's words, calling for God to hide his face from his sins and to blot out all of David's iniquities. Perhaps the most powerful verse for all of us, for each and every one of us as Christians in the whole of scriptures, is his his statement, Paul's statement in the book of Romans in chapter 8, where he opens up, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's like a praise the Lord statement. You should just break forth when you think about that. And that's what David, David isn't sensing that. He's sensing God's condemnation, but, but he wants that sense of promise that there is no longer any condemnation hanging over his head, that God, through his sacrifice, has removed all sense of guilt. David appeals to God's mercy as the only way for the removal of the guilt of his sin. The record of David's debt must be cleared or he will never be free. 
It is too great a debt for David to pay. And so he appeals to the king of all kings to forgive that debt. David understood that it was only on the basis of God forgiving him, of the forgiveness of his sins, that he could find joy again in his life. David was not able to rejoice in anything until God forgave and restored him and only then returned the joy of the Lord to David's heart. So he cried out to God with the understanding that God is eager to forgive. And in this he finds assurance in the word that comes through the the prophet Nathan, that God has promised to forgive him, even as God promises to forgive you as you come and confess your sins and trust in Christ's blood to cleanse you. God is faithful. God is just to forgive you. The Apostle John tells us when we confess our sins, God forgives us. God is just in granting forgiveness because of what Jesus has done in his atoning work on the cross. But David doesn't just cry out, purge me, but he then says, perfect me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not carry me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. In verse 10, David moved from a a request of forgiveness and restoration to a plea for the work of sanctification. The process whereby God changes you from being dead in trespasses to be raised unto new life in Christ. Sanctify me. Make me holy. Set me apart. It is a profound thing when you understand that salvation is an act of creation by God that enlivens your soul. God must take out that old stony heart that is hard against the goodness of God and give you a heart of flesh, a heart of life that yearns for fellowship with God. David knew what it was to walk with God, and he had not been doing that as of late. And what happened? It it left him empty and frustrated and depressed. He may well have related to how King Saul had felt in his spiritual despair and anguish that had caused him to lash out at the young believing David, even pinning, trying to pin him to the wall with spears. Saul was removed from his throne without relief. David didn't want that to be his course, so he cried out for a change from where he found himself. David, at that moment, of spiritual anguish, may well have questioned his salvation. But having tasted of it, desired to be in that state of grace again, even if it means a true conversion is necessary, then that is what he desired. Perfect me, change me. David is pursuing spiritual restoration, not just a sense of God's blessing, but to truly be one who is blessed by God in the power of God's converting grace in his life. What David prayed for here is for God to work repentance in his direction and the reformation of his life, renewal of his spirit, and restoration from his fall. 
The bottom line for David is revealed in verse 11, where David essentially said, I feel as though I have lost the gifts of your spirit, O God. I don't sense the spirit. David had quenched the spirit, which is what the Apostle Paul warns against. Don't quench the spirit. Having experienced God's presence and power in his life, David now lacks the sense of that at the moment. His sin has robbed him of his communion with God, and he he desires nothing less, nothing else, than to be restored to that communion he once knew so intimately. So it is with all of us. There is nothing that should be more highly prized by you than the closeness that comes when you are walking with God. You know, the world is is constantly at work seeking to fill up your days with the things of the world because by this Satan knows he can choke off your sense of communion with God. It's so important that from the time you wake up to when you lay your head down, God is in your thoughts. That you're, you're viewing everything around you through the eyes of God. That is the mark of your communion. At the heart of that communion is the Word of God. The the believer is to be a person of the Word, whether reading your Bible, listening to Christian programming, or just simply reflecting through prayer on your need for God to work in you as you go about your daily business. You, You need to continually have that sense of purpose in communing with God. God, what would you have me to do today? What would you have me to do in this moment? What would you have me to say to this person? How would you have me to respond to this situation? Father, help me to know what is the best way to show forth the light of your grace. Thirdly, David cries out, promote me. Listen to his words. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. In verse 12, David reveals what is driving him. What is the purpose of his prayer? And when you pray, have purpose in your prayer. Seek God for something. Seek God for especially your ability to be able to serve him. It is his desire for not only the sense of restoration and the power of God's salvation, but it is for a full restoration of that joy that comes with the power of God's salvation. I remind you often of the question, why did Jesus come into the world? And like most people, you probably would first think, to die for my sins. But in Jesus' own words, he says it was so your joy might be full. That your joy is to be full in Christ. And that brings with it the the restoration, the forgiveness of sins. He wants all of the joy, the power, the service that comes with a true conversion by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your heart's desire as a Christian should be to, to be great in the Lord but not for your own greatness, but that you might greatly serve the name of Christ. There are two ways to understand verse 12, and both have a similar meaning. 
The New King James translates, uphold me by your generous spirit. But if you note the phrase, the words by your are in italics, which means it's supplied in the translation to accommodate the idea that David is praying for the Holy Spirit to work in him. But the text also carries the idea of uphold me by a royal or free spirit, a liberating spirit. I think about 2 Corinthians 3.17 where it talks about how the spirit is given that we might be free and liberated. And that's what David desires. This may well be a better fit for verses 12 and 13 where King David desired to be able to function in his capacity as God's chosen king over Israel. David surely struggled to carry out his kingly duties while he labored under the guilt of having misused his authority as king. It is a restoration to service as the sign of God's acceptance that he desired as well. In that whole unit of the verses 7 through 13, David has moved from a request for grace to an expression of gratitude. He called upon God for forgiveness and restoration. And then he promised that in the power of God's salvation, he would then serve God in the fullest sense in his calling in this life, which is being king over God's people in Israel. We shouldn't, however, see verse 13 as a kind of negotiation. He's saying, God, if you do this, then I will do that. You shouldn't see it that way. Rather, you should see that it expresses a desire to be used of God in the building of the kingdom of God. David's saying, let me be what you intend me to be. Help me, direct me, and do so first of all by restoring me. Verse 13 is a powerful example of the progress of the true believer in restoration. The Bible says that for those who have received much, Much is expected. And what that means is that when you become the recipient of God's grace, there is an expectation. It it should so impact your heart. In gratitude for what God has given to you and the, the overwhelming experience of that love of God poured out in your heart, that you want others to experience that as well. That as you become the recipient of God's grace, there is an expectation you want to see that grace extended to other sinners as well. David, having learned the hard way that sin does not pay. And why is it we all seem to have to learn that? We always have to learn that. You know, as parents, we try to keep our kids from making the same mistakes we did. No, they all seem to have to make their mistakes themselves. It's like we learn that way. God allowed David to fall into this grievous sin that David might learn, that we might learn through David, to understand that sin does not pay. But he also experienced the love of God through the forgiveness of God that abounds. Thus he exclaimed that in the joy of the salvation of his God, he now sensed he would seek to teach that to other sinners, that sense of restoration that sense of forgiveness, that sense of it's in the Lord that we walk. It's in the Lord that we go forth. And it's in the Lord that we have victory. Amen? Our Almighty God and Heavenly Father, 
the life of David is a great teacher to us. Not only in King David do we have a, a shadowy picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also in David we have a picture of the saint who sins, who seeks restoration, who desires to serve you with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength. And so, Father, often we not only learn great examples and patterns of righteousness from those who walk in a godly way. But often, too, Father, we find even here in this example how we ought to see in David an example of how we ought to respond to our own sin, how we ought to seek not to hide it, not to seek to preserve our integrity, because, Father, our integrity is to be found in Christ, not in ourselves. But rather, Father, we see in David one who comes forth crying out for restoration, for a revival of his soul. And so, Father, we pray that we may, may see in the passion of David, even in his, his seeking restoration, a true commitment to how we are to walk as Christians. Father, hear us now as we pray as you've taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.